I'm Rebecca, and I'm a Jane slash Madeline. I'm Carolyn, and I'm Renata slash Madeline. I'm Teresa, and I'm a Jane slash Bonnie, and we're here talking about the series finale of HBO's Big Little Lies, I Want to Know. And just as a disclaimer, it is late here. Rebecca has been traveling all day. Carolyn had a bad date yesterday, and I'm a little drunk. So this could go off the rails real quick. But let's start with Rebecca's recap. Okay, so the season two flashback treatment concludes with Celeste, which seems fitting. She's in the shower, blankly recalling the fateful night. And then like clockwork, she's back on that iPad, mooning over a video of her and Perry all lovey-dovey until she abruptly swipes upon a video she doesn't recognize. More specifically, a video ex machina shot by a tiny traumatized voyeur. We don't get to see what Celeste actually sees, but judging by the look on her face, we know what it must contain. We then quickly shift from Ed beating the shit out of a punching bag that I have a sneaking suspicion he calls Nathan, to a weird scene of Ziggy encouraging Jane to be with Corey, who may or may not be a narc, but is most definitely a creepy fish boy. Then without further ado, the finale delivers our first dose of Big Renata energy. Initially, Renata's wrath is directed at a poor, unsuspecting Starbucks barista who doesn't know what an Americano is despite working at a Starbucks, but Renata quickly pivots and redirects when Mary Louise has the gall to approach her like they're friends. Renata brands Mary Louise a judgy judger, and she suggests she keeps her eyes on her own fucking paper, which I am definitely saving to my bank of insults I'll never have the balls to use. In court, it's time for Celeste to cross-examine Mary Louise, and though Celeste's grasp on the law has felt tenuous to best this season, this time she comes out swinging. With calm, careful questions, Celeste dismantles Mary Louise's argument that she's a danger to her kids before bringing up mysterious Raymond. As it turns out, young psychopath Perry pushed Mary Louise to her breaking point while she was driving her car, leading to an accident that claimed Raymond's life. If this wasn't traumatizing enough, Celeste backs it up with that video she conveniently stumbled upon earlier. And yes, it's Perry beating the shit out of her. Celeste returns home a confident queen until her boys mistake her verbal vanquishing of Scary Louise for a physical beatdown. Horrified, Celeste starts to correct them but is interrupted by the doorbell. Mary Louise just can't take the L and she's here to make sure Celeste knows it's not fair. She publicly accused her of blaming Perry for Raymond's death. Celeste, who is acutely aware that life isn't fair, slams the door in her face. Poor, confusing Bonnie is back at her mom's bedside, waffling between smothering her and confessing that she does actually love her mom. And then the next morning, her mom wakes up. She's asking for breakfast, but just as fast, she's got another stroke, and this one's fatal. So I had whiplash from that. Bonnie uses this very intense time to tell Nutfuck Nathan that she doesn't love him and she's never loved him, and somewhere in the distance, Ed gets a semi. Speaking of Ed, he sits Madeline down, and it really looks like he's going to ask for a divorce and run away with Bonnie or Tori Tits, but no, he actually wants to renew their vows. Madeline is so excited she agrees. She even agrees not to make this a big thing. And they opt for a backyard gig and they're sprawling a, a gig as backyard as their sprawling beach mansion allows, complete with flower crowns straight out of midsummer and outfits clearly curated from the Bonnie collection. Abigail officiates because apparently she too also watched season two of Fleabag and has decided that being a hot priest is vastly superior to being a college grad, and that's that on that family. In the last day of court, Celeste dresses her boys as mini Perry's, which is a choice. But before the judge can deliver her verdict, Mary Louise interrupts to apologize. But because we can't have nice things in this show, she quickly returns to the party line, shaming Celeste and insisting she was complicit in her abuse. Celeste rebuts, blaming, blaming Mary Louise for turning Perry into a psychopathic abuser and insisting she will raise her boys to be good men. Then the judge reveals her decision. Mary Louise's petition is denied and Celeste retains full custody. Celeste, the patron saint of emotional generosity, actually encourages the boys to go hug their crazy grandma, and that's that. 
Then for our second dose of Big Renata energy, and boy, is it a heaving spoonful. Renata returns home to find Gordon in his man cave, managing his stress with a full collection of model trains. Turns out his buddy bought the entire caboodle and entrusted Gordon to be its curator. Renata, whose house has been transformed from a parking garage into an abandoned parking garage, loses her shit, grabs the bat, baseball bat, and lays waste to the trains and Gordon's dad bod. When she walks out, it feels like she's walking out for good. And then we come to the end with, yes, you guessed it, a flashback. Jane and Corey are slow dancing and making out, and it's, which is good for them, I guess, but profoundly disappointing for me personally. And I will say it one more time because this is the last episode of the season. What happened to Tom? Renata, meanwhile, reassures Amabella that everything is going to be right without Gordon and his trains around. Celeste kisses her iPad before deleting her spank bank of Perry videos. And Bonnie, dazed and confused, drives into the night, once again ending up at the Monterey police station. But this time, she's joined by the rest of the gang. And together, the Monterey Five walk into the station, presumably to confess. And that was that. That was that. So let's... This episode, I think I want to go through character by character um and we're gonna start with the lamest of the endings and so let's go with madeline martha mckenzie i honestly didn't know who you were gonna call out as having the lamest (laughs) it was it was a toss-up between her and jane honestly did they just forget oh i've got so many so many feelings but yes all right let's start with madeline who did we decide is the lamest oh madeline and that fucking flower crown Yes, I mean, the boho beach wedding of Bonnie's dreams, do we even care? Like, did anyone, was any, did you, either of you feel invested and in why was her, like, 16-year-old bratty daughter performing the ceremony? Because it wasn't legal, so right. it didn't matter. So but they it was were, just ridiculous. Chloe, but let's be honest, Chloe would have made a better officiant. Yeah. Chloe was the DJ, obviously. <laughs> oh. Um. I don't really have anything to say about that because it just felt like such a throwaway end for Madeline's arc. And I feel like Madeline in general this season has kind of been criminally underused. Like in the past, they at least used her as like meddler in chief, but -hmm. she's not really had any like profound meddling to do this season. In fact, only her children have done any real meddling. So I think they just kind of didn't know what to do with her and, and pigeonholed into her to be like supportive friends, TM and beyond that, like wife that wants her husband back. Wouldn't you have felt better if they had ended up separating? Yes, I definitely would have. And I think it would have felt more true to the character arc. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, so, I mean, her storyline ended up being so lame. That was like the only real question I could even come up with for her. Right. (laughs) Like the next thing I have here is I stole the whole idea that the friendship is a lie from Celeste list of questions for for this episode so that we'd have something more to talk about with Madeline so um is so you know we hear Celeste tell Madeline that the friendship is a lie between all five of them which I think is kind of what I've been saying all season what do you guys think I mean, like, I completely think so in the context that you've been describing it, Teresa, but I don't necessarily find in this specific context it worked. Like, Madeline was the one in the car with Celeste afterwards, and they were having this heart-to-heart, and it seems like out of all of them, their friendship is the truest. Yes, Madeline didn't pick up on the abuse, but, you know, Celeste was very careful to hide that from everyone. That's not really Madeline's fault. So I was confused that Celeste directed that specifically at Madeline. I thought well, there were many other characters she could have said that to that would have made a lot more sense than Madeline. Well, she does say that there is a friendship between, you know, 
her and Madeline and Jane, but leaves Bonnie and Renata out, which is sort of more or less what I've been saying that like the, those, they're not really friends with them. They're just thrown into a situation and have to deal with each other. Though it does kind of feel like, I, I I don't know. I just feel like that line really undercut a lot of the work the show was trying to do this year with like, for example, the scene when Celeste goes to Renata for advice about things. And like, if they mm-hmm. weren't really friends, why is she not going to Madeline? Why is she going and they're Renata. all showing up in court every day to watch this yeah. shit show. I thought that, I that think... was just kind of ungrateful and horrible, to be honest. I like, yes, that like, I think to talk about the fact that the friendship was predicated on this horrible act of violence, but then now that it's over, just to kind of be like, eh, friendship mm-hmm. was a lie, moving on. It's like, these women have really like been there for Celeste. Well, and I don't believe it because when Bonnie sends the text at the end and is like, I'm going to turn myself in. They all show up in the dark of night to go in with her right. and be there and support her. So I really, I feel like it's not that the friendship is a lie. It's about that it was built on the lie. And mm-hmm. I think that Celeste, who is going through all of these changes and just having all of this happen, I think a part of her is afraid that she's about to lose her little she-wolf pack. Like, mm-hmm. is she going to feel, I think that was her being like, am I going to be alone now like if if this if we don't so have you think it came from a yet. place of insecurity yes okay that makes more sense because I thought the delivery of it was seeming kind of just like flippant right that's why I felt like it was more her expressing more of her fear of being alone and you know having other people leave her when she you know she needs this support system now in some ways still more than ever got it Okay, I'll buy it. I'll bite. All right, so let's move on to Jane because this storyline is boring. Um, <laughs> so poor Jane's not much better. I know. Yeah. So, you know, Fishboy is back and seducing Jane in the aquarium, and he's just going on about how there's no best, there's just better or nice or good enough. Which is like the oh, least romantic thing anyone has ever said. And has I anyone just seen have... Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? She's got that whole like he's got a whole song like "Settle for Me." Like that is literally yeah. the song he's singing. It's like yeah, you, you can't do better than me. And like in fact, she could. And I'm not gonna say his name again because I've clearly beaten this <laughs> to a pulp. But I'm mad. But and that also, was the thing that bothered me here is that like she can do so much better. And he literally just gives her a speech about, well, you can settle for me because good is nice. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, Jane, wake the fuck up. You can do so much better than this little cart boy. Just get out. And I and just also think the whole like creepy scene with Ziggy with Ziggy, like encouraging her to like essentially yeah. like pursue a sexual relationship. I'm like, this is not a conversation a mother but would then have I was with her wondering, child. Do I not like him also because of his face? Is he another is is he another Adam Scott where I'm just like, oh, I don't like your like smug little gross face. And if it had been a different actor, would I feel differently about this character? I don't character? know. I kind of like the actor. Like, I, I don't necessarily think it's like him. It's the no, character. No, I don't like him, his face, his character, anything. I and mean, I feel that Jane got, I, I, this is not what Jane needed as she is trying to move on. I also it, really was bothered by the fact that we didn't have any sort of like, conversation about you know whether or not he was a police informant or not I guess the show is saying he wasn't he did go to the police station without giving Jane a heads up first and that's something to me that I would take as a betrayal and not be able to just so casually forgive I think also you know 
I think part of the reason we don't like him is one, he looks crazy young. Like yeah. it's not like mm-hmm. Shailene, Shailene Woodley looks old, but she looks older than him. And um, you know, they sort of they set him up as this awkward person, I think, to make him more non-threatening to Jane. Like a foil for Perry. Like he's a young, baby-faced, right. awkward, not snuff. Oh, yeah. I guess like he is very not intimidating. And also, I mean, who, I mean, what other guy that age would maybe put up with months of not getting any from the person <laughs> he's dating? You know what I mean? Like he does because he's weird and you know like and I mean whatever I I was just so excited by the idea that he was going to be a narc and an informant and it made so many plot weird inconsistencies about his character make sense suddenly like the whole like coming up to her on the beach and be like oh you're part of the Monterey Five a a moniker that he was the only one like randomly to use Mm -hmm. and then like his like weird like are you autistic am I autistic kind of like he he set that up as a way to like not get close to her and kind of continue to, to watch her without having to be personally emotionally vulnerable, which seems like a, a good ploy for somebody that's undercover and doesn't want to like let anything personal about them slip that would blow their cover. I just thought that was going to be an interesting, you know, and the fact that Jane is desperate for some sort of connection and the police would use that against her. I just thought that was going to be a much more richly interesting story. And for it to just be like, nah, he's just a, a weirdo and Jane likes him was just, I don't know. But wasn't that the problem with like this whole season and this season finale? For me, it was like there were all these things that I thought they were going to do or like paths they could have gone down. And it ended with end, a whimper instead of a bang. And we've been mm-hmm. looking for a bang all season. Yeah. Although Jane got banged right before she went to confess a crime. She well done. Was nice well segue. Papulian through line. Yes. She, <laughs> no one is going to understand that unless we have a few listeners left over from our, our foray onto the nose. But um, I mean, Jane just has epically weird timing. Like last time she tried to get it on with this dude, it was like between work and like, going to hang out with her kid and this time she's like yeah I'm gonna um go confess to a crime so we gotta we gotta do this right now because I may not you know be free after today did anyone else feel like that was the most awkward non-sexy sex scene too Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, because he's a child yeah exactly yeah it was uncomfortable I also just feel like Jane was so criminally underserved. The fact that, you know, in season one, she was the victim. Perry is like victim number one in terms of like, and really the anchor of the story. Jane coming into Otter Bay was the catalyst for all this action. And, you know, she had the gun and the ep- each episode dedicated quite a lot yeah, of time to Jane. She like and she just was like, a, character. yeah, she was like given the Bonnie treatment where you got like a little flash of her, but it wasn't anything meaningful that advanced her character development. I mean, truly, they just gave her banks. And said, mm-hmm. that's that. Jane's mature. Jane's over her abuse. Well, maybe she's not fully over it, but she's ready to find love again. Like, no, I don't subscribe to that. I would have liked to see Jane in a therapist's office. Like, we've seen enough of these therapy right. scenes. And that was another thing, just broadly, that bothered me, that we've had all these, like, really meaningful therapy scenes. We had the one with Ed and Madeline. It's like, why didn't we get at least another one towards the back half? It seems like all of these characters should be in therapy. And I would have loved to see Renata on that therapist's couch. Mm. This season, it also seems like it was a little front-loaded yes. to, towards, like, you know, Madeline had some really kind of funny scenes in the first couple of episodes when, you know, with Principal Nipple and whatnot. Yeah. And 
And then it was just like, oh, now it's just a constant drag of her like fighting with Ed all the time. And I, I just just go away. I'd rather see you, you know, stuffing cupcakes into your mouth. I that feel like fun. the only moments of like fun in the back half of the season were Renata being just super mm-hmm. memeable. And it's almost yeah. like they knew that like there's certain scenes that are going to 100 percent get circulated all over Instagram mm-hmm. and Tumblr, et cetera, because Laura Dern serves just so much. Mm-hmm. But that isn't, you know, good writing. That's just writing for memes and gifts. No, I feel that this whole season, it, I guess, I mean, maybe they were doing this to, like, ease the pain that we aren't getting a third. Because Is that been confirmed? The producer said that, but then I was reading some other stuff that was saying that. It's so, not confirmed. It is yeah. still possible. But this Please season know. left me not needing any more in a bad way. Like, I didn't get closure, but I also have ceased to care about these characters in in some sense. Except for, you know, I would totally just watch Renata do anything. Like, they like, can you imagine if Renata, the next season, is just Renata running, like, a women empowerment thing in jail? Yeah. yeah. She, mm-hmm. There should be a spinoff. Um, and there's, you know, I think... I don't know if it, it might have been Nicole Kidman and not Reese Witherspoon, but one of them bought the rights to Nine Perfect Strangers, yeah. one of Leanne Moriarty's other books. And there is like a completely insane, like, um, lifestyle guru in that. And Laura Dern might be a perfect oh. choice for it. Actually, uh, I almost picked that up in the airport today, but then I was like, I'm too stressed to deal with more <laughs> Lynn Moriarty drama. Um. All right. Goodbye, Jane. We're moving on to Celeste now. I um, hardly knew you this season. Um, so the iPad video that Celeste finds, when she first sees it, did you know it was going to be in a, like a beatdown video? Because I thought it was going to be the twins like finding like making a sex tape. Oh, basically. no. I figured that out right away because you thought it was the twins making a sex tape. Wait, well, yeah. I, I mean, we know that what? Like, they kept. I mean, I don't think they knew that's what they were doing, but you know, we kept look in the last episode. We learned about all these times where apparently the twins came into the room to find a naked man in bed, and mommy so hopped up on Ambien that they can't wake her up. So oh, that would have been they, so that dark. They filmed her having sex. Yeah, like they. Oh, I yes. thought you meant that the twins. Not, oh God. No. Yeah. yeah, Carol and I's brains went to a really dark place. Yeah, like, I, Teresa, are you okay? <laughs> I was yeah, like, put I, down the wine, honey. <laughs> like, okay, so I figured out right away that she let what the because the twins clearly a lot of the footage was like the twins filming their dad and just you know having fun, mm-hmm. and as soon as I saw her face, I was like, oh God, the twins filmed him beating the shit out of her mm-hmm. and that is in fact what that was um but I really felt like we I, I couldn't believe that that was what they needed to use I, I agree with the vulture recap that we all read and are going to release something with that how in this day and age do we need to have like literally a smoking gun mm-hmm. for this and also to find it like you have this iPad that you clearly are looking at all the time and to suddenly this one video you didn't see that you happened to stumble on mere hours before you have like cross-examining the woman who's accused you of all this stuff. It just felt like really like a cop-out, a big old cop-out. And how many videos were there on that that she had never seen that one? 
just like hundreds over. I, I don't know. That did seem that was like one of those. Uh, we got to wrap this up. We got to find something and we'll just throw this in here. And I think that's just a generally like my complaint for this finale was that I felt like they had so many loose ends they wanted to address that they had to resort to like really lazy tropes. Like it, it just is the oldest trick in the book to have somebody at the 11th hour discover something that's a crucial piece of evidence. Yeah, and it feels like they opened up all these unnecessary storylines like Bonnie's weird psychic mom. And Ugh, don't get um, started. And then so we didn't have time for more important storylines. Yeah, it was weird. So let's talk about Celeste being a badass lawyer again. And she, you know, she, during her examination of Mary Louise, we find out that Raymond died in a car accident while Mary Louise was driving and lost her temper. And she kept blaming poor baby Perry for it. And, you know, we've been speculating that Raymond died in some way, um, because of Mary Louise, were you guys satisfied with this reveal? I was satisfied with the context of it, but I was confused that Celeste has known this the entire time. Because yeah. it seemed to me like earlier in the season when Mary Louise mentioned Raymond, Celeste was like intrigued. Not mm-hmm. like, I already know all about that. Perry says that, you know, he caused it and you blamed him for it. And like, I again, like this is one of those moments where Celeste pulled something out of her shirt, mm-hmm. like... I don't know. I was so confused by that. I thought that it was like some sort of weird, lucid fever dream she was having where like Perry came back to like from the dead and she was having some dream (laughs) where he was like telling her about this so that she could use it and have that information. Because I was like, why did she know this this whole time? Because I remembered when it was referenced before, she did look like confused. Right? Like she didn't look like somebody that like fully knew as much yeah. as she knew in that original scene, I have to go back and watch that. It was yeah, like episode I was just one or about two. To say, maybe I have to go back and watch it. And in the context, I'll see it differently. But in my memory, it didn't really feel like something. And also, wouldn't that have been something that when they were sitting there on that therapist couch all throughout season one that Perry might have mentioned? Like, oh, my mom is a bit of a psychopath. And, you know, she blames me for my brother's death. Maybe that's why I like to hit women. Well, like, he never admitted to liking to hit women, so. That's true. Well, no, he did, because he, didn't he say, like, sometimes, I don't know. But the point is, is, like, wouldn't yeah. that have somehow come up or been a bigger plot point at any point? Well, I started. With living there. I started to think, like, oh, maybe she, this was her just, like, you know, she was suddenly remembering this thing. But, like, how do you remember how your, like, how do you forget that your, how your husband's brother died? And that, you know, he was blamed for it. And that, you know, it's not something you can forget. Yeah. Oh, meanwhile, uh, I did see a little interesting factoid on the Internet that the actress who plays young uh, Mary Louise mm-hmm. was briefly in Devil Wears Prada. As yes, she was Andy's replacement. She was Andy's replacement in mm-hmm. Devil Wears Prada. And I found that fascinating. They should have got Meryl Streep's daughter because she looks exactly like Just her. Just like her, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for sure. I wonder. Mamie, Mamie Gummer. Love her. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, I that that moment of uh, where Celeste, you know, has this has all these like ahas and like puts this all together 
it felt like, how did she not have this information beforehand? Like how it felt everything from the video to knowing about the truth behind Perry's brother and his relationship with his mom. Like it just, it was too much that she could have been holding back. I yeah, like, yeah. Like you didn't tell your lawyer that the woman's suing you for custody had a child die under her, her watch. Yeah, yeah. Like it's crazy. Um, this yeah. all said, I think the highlight of this episode for me was Mary Louise versus Celeste in court. I mean, when you've got mm-hmm. two of the finest actresses out there going toe to toe, the emotions on their faces, the way, you know, Celeste, from the way she was dressed to the way she was holding herself to the way Mary Louise was responding, I thought it was some of the best acting all season. And if nothing else, that was, you know, a rewarding moment. In this episode. No, the only rewarding moment in this episode for me was Renata trashing yeah. the green set. <laughs> that was a very rewarding moment. But again, like I feel like we have to disqualify Renata at this point because she does everything that's just so perfect and so serviceable and tends to like carry any of the drama and humor that the first season sort of kind of did more naturally has been kind of just like delegated to Laura Dern because she's so good at it. Yeah. But I still feel like, to me, I felt at this point that courtroom stuff was, yes, their acting is spectacular, but it had drawn out past the point where it was holding me completely enthralled. Even Mm -hmm. when I wanted to be, uh, I I wasn't, you know, I wasn't captivated. I found myself looking at my phone and and fidgeting Mm -hmm. through it. Uh, I, I was not held captive by the acting or the what was happening. Um, I will say that I did get a little uh, emotional heartstring tug at when she tells the kids to go hug yeah. their grandma. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like that to me was a very, it was like a, a human moment. And there was like this forgiveness and this heart. And like, you know, it was kind of, it was just so unexpected to me. Uh, in that moment. And I thought that that was, I thought that was well done. Um, and I love that you called out that she dressed those little boys like Perry. That's the other thing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so during the trial, um, Celeste says to Mary Louise this, or to, or to judge Hannah Horvath's mom, um, the trial is about mother, this trial is about mothering. And it felt like one of those moments where they were just slapping you over the head again with like, oh, here's yeah. the theme of this show. Yeah. I'm going to hit you with it a couple times. How'd you guys respond to that? No, I, I think it got really heavy handed with that. Like we're going to dissect what it means to be a mother. What's a good mother. I mean, we literally had an episode, the episode before we said a bad mother. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have been a little more creative with that, a little more subtle. Sure. The one secondary theme I touched on in, during this back and forth, which I did like, was there's almost like a throwaway moment where she's asked about, did she ever put Perry in therapy? Mm-hmm. And Mary Ruiz responds something like, I wouldn't outsource my children's needs. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, that like generational gap is very much something that the show is trying to explore. And, and they do it in a subtle way that they don't necessarily do with like an exploration of motherhood. You know, Mary Louise thinks as, as therapy is outsourcing, whereas Celeste realizes the value in bringing in a third party, even though I think that was something that she came to only through her own experiences with the therapist. Mm-hmm. So that was a moment that I felt that they handled better. And the whole mothering thing at this point, I've just kind of 
tune it out because I think it's become so central to the show that I don't even feel like it's a theme anymore. They could just call rename the show bad mothering. Mm-hmm. And, and how, how you come to terms with the bad mothering, like Bonnie, for example, you know, that where you think that she's going to smother her mother to death right. with a pillow. And then, you know, there's that, I'd say one of the most thrilling moments in this episode was the father coming back to get his like phone or keys or whatever he left behind. And you're so convinced that he's going to walk in and find his daughter killing her mother. And then instead she's like curled up in bed with her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I hated that moment. Yeah. I, did. I, 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 I did. thought that that was ridiculous that that's what he found her doing. Uh, but at the same time, it was like the one, it was at least a twist that took me, you know, I, I at least was like, oh, it, it, it felt like a cheap twist to me. It felt like because they'd been doing this back and forth with Bonnie for several episodes where it's like, is this the time she's going to smother her? Oh, yeah. no, no, not this. And time. all of this death then, imagery attached to the two of them, all this death by water, all of this premonitions. If it would have ended with Bonnie smothering her mother and in some ways doing it as like a mercy kill right. and not right. have it be like an act of violence. She says to her, you know, I, I love you. It's taken my whole life to say that and then puts her out of her misery. That would have made a lot more sense to Bonnie's arc yeah but instead what we get is go ahead no I was gonna say I'm gonna try and reel you guys back in because we're not too Bonnie yet we're still on Celeste sorry Celeste Celeste. um good job Teresa you are the best moderator I'm trying um so do you guys you know there's also this part where Mary Louise before the video is played is once again, claiming that, um, you know, she doesn't quite believe Perry's the monster. Everybody's making him out to be. And Celeste kind of straight up just calls out Jane as a rape victim in the middle of court. Yeah, that was. And I was like, Oh, oh did that you was... get permission? What is happening? That was uncomfortable. And I think mm-hmm. uncalled for, um, yeah. And I think that Jane's face, I think that she, it, it was not, she was, she did not get permission, at least how it was played. Poor how Jane in all out. those courtroom scenes, she was just like weeping and her hand in her heads. And the fact that like none of the yeah. Monterey Five were paying that much attention to what Jane was going through. I'm like, they were all focused on Celeste. And yes, this is Celeste's moment. But you also have a woman who has got to sit there and listen while her rape rapist is discussed like this, like. The fact that Jane was even in the courtroom, frankly, I think that, like, is a testament to Jane's strength of character more so than anybody else's. But I was really bummed that none of the other characters really, like, noted the fact that Jane was clearly so devastated by what was going on. Bad friendship. Maybe the friendship is a lie. They're bad friends to Jane. Um so then we get this scene where Mary Louise shows up at the house. She still has her keys, apparently, and... Celeste hasn't changed the locks like the lady who's trying to take your kids away from you has keys to your house like that's a little bonkers and Mary Louise is just straight up accusing her of lying and you know is she delusional is it possible that Perry was lying like what do you think is going on here I just think that they were looking for another scene where they could get Mary Louise <laughs> and uh, Celeste to throw down. I, again, that was a scene where I'm like, did we really need that? Mm-hmm. We've had this yeah. back and forth in court. What is it telling us that we don't already know that Mary Louise is, will, you know, stop at nothing to get her what she wants? Mm-hmm. I think that if they'd ended the scene 
maybe it was needed to drag her away from the confrontation with the boys because I did think that was quite powerful. There's again, and again, it's the subtlety of a, a knife when they say the killing stops in five minutes because they're playing a game mm-hmm. and then they immediately five minutes after that are like, oh, so did you beat her up, mom? I'm like, okay, we get it. Like there's violent tendencies in this family. But that conversation, at least, I think could have really gone somewhere interesting if Celeste had been able to finish her thought and say, like, listen, like, that might have been who we were, but this is not who we are. And the whole reason I'm fighting to get the custody of you guys in court is so that we don't fall into the same pitfalls of, you know, your father. And just to have it end in, like, another aggressive, you know, verbally violent altercation between Mary Louise and Celeste was just, it annoyed me. I didn't like that scene at all. Unnecessarily could have cut it out and explained to me what happened to Tom instead. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's a lot they could have done with the five minutes that that scene took up. Um, literally anything. I agree. The finding out what happened to Tom or, you know, give Chloe a little bit more screen time. Poor about- Chloe. She might, other than Bonnie, be the most underserved character this season. Yeah. I mean, apparently she has Cocoa Puff connections, which is weird. Like, yeah, her what only scenes were that, that and the like the quick like hinged unhinged thing, which was right. funny. But it's like she's become just like a, a punchline. And before it at least felt like Chloe had some interest to her with the music. And the music, Chloe and her music haven't been brought up except for the first episode where she turns on music too loud to Chloe drown. Chloe hasn't out. called her woman all this season. Mm-hmm. And a kid doesn't just stop that. <laughs> and a kid develops worse things and she's yeah. just kind of fizzled mm-hmm. out. Justice for Chloe. Mm-hmm. So- so Celeste gets her kids back and deletes her Perry porn. Um, are you guys feeling good about her future? Is she just going to go on some more ambient-fueled, like, bathroom affairs? I mean, this was another thought I had during it. Like, as much as, and I've said this before, but, like, as much as Mary Louise is batshit and is clearly not the person the kids should be with, Celeste also really has some issues that I don't necessarily feel she's working that hard to resolve. And her saying with conviction, like, my boys will be good men is all well and good, but she's got a ton of work to do herself. And that includes like maybe a stint in rehab. Like the ambient thing is concerning. And I didn't really hear any of that ownness coming from Celeste. And I really wish we'd had one more scene with the therapist, at least at the end or something, like just a montage of Celeste back on the couch, still working at it. Or Mm -hmm. the therapist, you know, coming up to her after court and being like, I couldn't testify because it would have hurt you, but I'm so glad you were able to do this. However, like you still need to be seeing me once a week. I just think that in general, that's such a sloppy way to treat therapy. Therapy is not something you just do piecemeal and think your issues are fixed. Clearly Celeste's issues aren't fixed. And now she's got the added responsibility and pressure because I'm sure, you know, people follow up after your kids have a custody hearing Mm-hmm. To do it right. And I don't think the trauma of this courtroom is necessarily going to be enough. And, and deleting the Perry porn is a symbol of Celeste, like, fully fixing her issues. It wasn't I think just it's Perry. Like, it's supposed to be because since, obviously, it's a TV show, that's, like, her, that that's supposed to give us that moment to know that she's looking to heal herself. That she's going, she's trying to move past. I get that. that. I just wish it had happened with the therapist. A different, I think that in a been different much more way. Powerful. Yeah, for sure. I I think that Celeste has a, a long road ahead of her and is a is a concern. But I at least, you know, at least she got rid of her Perry porn, as you call it, which yeah. <laughs> it was ridiculous that she even had that and was still. Uh, y- I, I don't know. I mean, I, I understand the emotional tie there, mm-hmm. but uh, I I couldn't believe that she even was like holding on to 
a lot of that in that in that way. And that shows like that should have been something addressed in the therapy. Like I mm-hmm. wanted I agree that that therapist also got deserved this season as somebody who came out as a hero in last season for all of us. We kept saying how like that therapist was amazing. She was wonderful. And this season, I, I just felt like she was not getting she wasn't allowed to to step up and be uh, a, a sense of calm and power and knowledge and support in mm-hmm. any of the scenes she was in. For me, I felt like she was a different character this this season. Yeah, I would agree. She was sort of aggressive in a weird way, both with Celeste and with Madeline. Um, yeah, Madeline and Ed. It w- it was weird. She, yeah, she went from being sort of assertive and um, like a good source of guidance to just being kind of like she seemed mad at her clients or something. So, it was weird. you know, the thing with like with writing a show. Uh, or or a film, but especially a show where you're going to have like a season and then, you know, hopefully another season and so on and so forth. A, a big, uh, one of the things that writers do is work backwards. So, mm-hmm. but the interesting thing with this season is I really felt like, did they write this going forward? Like it felt, it felt like from a writing standpoint, from a TV mm-hmm. writing standpoint, it felt like instead of going from an end from where they want things to end and kind of working backwards from there and following those threads and trying to pick mm-hmm. some things up along the way, it felt like they started writing and then kind of wanted to see where it went. And I tried to like research that cause I found myself thinking about that after the last uh, episode. And apparently there were different endings. And I mean, I know that the show mm-hmm. was wrought with some problems this year, including shifting directors, uh, sort of mid midstream. Uh, well, not, not shifting directors, right? Like they, she, what's her name? Andrea. Is that yeah. her name? Andrea. She Andrea directed Arnold. the whole thing, but she then directed it, but not in post, right. not in post editing, which mm-hmm. is a big time. I mean, yes. I really think this is something that we as a whole need to talk about as a whole episode because there's so many conflicting accounts about this. And I think it, I mean, we need, obviously we're not going to be able to see the Arnold cut unless we get really lucky, which I don't think is going to happen. But I think the whole concept and the, the backlash has been like, you know, it was a, a show about females caused because of Reese Witherspoon who wanted to make this with, you know, this all-star list of female actresses. And, and a then, female writer and female director. Right. And, now and then season. was strong-armed by a man. And I think that they, that, you know, is one layer to something that we don't have. Right. And so that's where I'm going with this. Did something happen this season that changed the way the writing process was done or like the thought process behind the show? Or was there something lost in the cut, in the edit? Was there something lost somewhere? Because I feel that a lot of the characters and a lot of the storyline like derailed for me and went in ways that were not, that felt just not true to whatever was set up in season one. Like where did that disconnect happen? I think it's a combination of both things because the first season adheres pretty closely to the book, right? And that's a book that was right. probably took years to write, went through a couple of edits, had the benefit of not only uh, an author, but an editor to um, help her make it the best it could be. And then they really stuck pretty close to that. So that, you know, it 
and it lent itself well to television. And then the second season is her, is Leanne Moriarty coming in again, but now she's got to like make it up on the fly and doesn't have the leisure of writing out an entire book, you know? And, and then you add on top of that all this conflict because I mean, we don't know, maybe the, Andrea Arnold's vision of things was really just kind of whack and they were trying to save it and by and this is what they could cobble together I don't know yeah I think that's a, a topic for an entire mm-hmm. podcast I think there's a lot yeah. to discuss agreed that. agreed mm-hmm. all right well then let's move on to Renata um so Renata's hanging out in Starbucks these days because, I don't know, she can't afford to go to the weird boho coffee shop anymore or something. Starbucks um, all because the drinks are yeah. so, so cheap there. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, Starbucks is the low end for these women. Mm-hmm. I mean, meanwhile, like, I try to budget for Starbucks every week mm-hmm. if I get lucky. <laughs> um, well, Renata is rot. We are rot, as we find out. And I think if anyone is unhinged in Monterey, it is clearly Renata. Like, she, like I was actually feeling bad for Mary Louise by the end of that scene. What did you think? Really? Because I thought Renata was just a mess. She was just like a verbal diarrhea mess. Yeah, her liner, her one-liners, like, weren't zingy. They were just, like, judgy judger. Judgy judger, yeah. But I think it was the first time we've seen Renata, like, not confident in control. Like, she was flustered. Things are clearly getting to her. And the best secret line, which the Vulture article, which we're going to share with you all soon, which is, if you haven't read it already, run, don't walk. But it it points out something that I missed and had to go back and look at is that after the whole altercation ends, Mary Louise just like quietly says, because Renata runs off without her latte. She's like, you can just put it in my bag. We're going to the same place. (laughs) So Mary Louise won that one. (laughs) And that was, yes. Uh, I think that that was potentially one of my favorite. I think that was my second favorite other than her scream. That was my second favorite Mary Louise moment of this entire season. Uh, well, Renata definitely should not drink that coffee, though, right? Like, when it gets there, like, no, that knows what Mary no. Louise did to it. No. Um, and who puts coffee in a bag? Yeah. <laughs> well, so you get, this made me think of something, though. Like, we're, we were talking about the directorial issues. And, um, you know, there was also an article about how, um, they, well, they make it sound like Meryl Streep just wouldn't take any direction. But what it really was is that she didn't want to hear from anybody that she had to, like, amp up Mary Louise's villainy. And, yes. like, she, I think she just didn't believe that she actually was a villain. And in scenes like this, where she's being berated by a lunatic in a Starbucks, you actually do feel bad for her. And then she does the kindness of bringing that lunatic her coffee, you know? Yeah. I think um, that's what makes her such an interesting character is that she's not just like a Disney villain twirling her hair and, you know, trying to steal the voice of Celeste. I mean, she no, she's genuinely just your average, is concerned about the kids. actual human creep twirling her cross necklace. <laughs> True. Um, yeah, I mean, that she is a very well-crafted human flawed human character and that's like what you expect Meryl Streep to bring to a role 
And watching um, her react to the Perry abuse footage and seeing the way that Mary Louise had to comprehend, yes. you know, that she was actually wrong about this and her husband was doing these horrible things. And in that initial first courtroom scene, you can see the, the pain plain as day. And this is not a woman who's out to besmirch Celeste anymore. This is someone who's now got to contend with the fact that her child was a monster. And then when she comes back for the second scene, it's like she's found the way to justify it by saying like, okay, well, Celeste is complicit, which is again, like it's this first generation feminism where she can't picture a world in which like a man is purely responsible for the abuse of a woman. The woman has to want it in some way. Otherwise, how could a man do that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't think Mary Louise is all bad. I don't. Let's talk about Renata's home run derby. Um, <laughs> So, first of all, how has she not noticed that all of these trains are still in the basement? Like, the I think they went out of the basement and then they got brought back in after this guy agreed to buy them. No, I don't think they ever even left. I think that that fucker had them this whole time as everything in their house got pulled away. And I think it's just, you know, uh, he probably, she just doesn't go in that room and she probably hadn't heard him playing with them because he wasn't home or, you know, she was at like, I'm sure that it's plausible that she just somehow didn't realize that his little man cave was still intact. Uh, But that to me, this scene was perfection. (laughs) Um, Uh, Everything from her red jumpsuit to her, Mm-hmm. Everything that came out of her fucking mouth to the moment that she grabs that baseball bat and starts swinging. Mm-hmm. I felt like that was the, the rage was brilliant and it was so wonderful to watch. Oh, my God. And how many times have like I have totally like wished that you could just like destroy something. Mm-hmm. You know, out of that, to take all that rage that you have and just like. Renata needs to start her own like line of rage rooms after she gets mm-hmm. out of jail. <laughs> oh my God. Just a bunch of expensive train equipment. Just like expensive stuff in general that you get to destroy. Mm-hmm. That'd be genius. Also, like she had to do that in like one take because once they trashed that $410,000 mm-hmm. train set, which mm-hmm. I think actually cost like what, 40000 or something, they said. HBO revealed how much they spent on that train set. Um, so she got like what one take on that mm-hmm. for sure, and that I, I doubt that Laura Dern ever really needs more than one take. I'm sure, <laughs> but like from an actor standpoint, like I I loved that that she just like got to like live in that moment and she just nailed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so good, so good. So we also get a, like what I think is a weird little moment from Gordon here, where you know Renata's like, "What is all this stuff?" and he's like, "Now that Juliet is gone." I need something to play with. And I was like, I mean, Gordon's always been kind of a dirtbag, but he was never mean. And I was like, this is weird. Is this like just a straight out of left field? Like, could they just not? I mean, I guess they just needed him to say something so terrible. Yeah, they they needed him to push that button. But like last Mm -hmm. season, they were like having sex in his office. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, Jeffrey Nordling was just interviewed for, I believe it was Vanity Fair, about how he was really disappointed in Gordon's turn. And he really fought against it because he didn't think it made sense based on how Mm -hmm. Gordon behaved in season one. And the writers Mm -hmm. were kind of like, well, he's kind of having a midlife crisis and life can get that way and he was like yeah 
fine. I know life can get that way, but I don't really buy that Gordon would suddenly become this like moody jackass lurking in a basement with his trains and being like horrible to his wife. Exactly. They had had one of the strongest marriages in season one. I mean, remember when Jane confronted her and like punched Renata in the face and he was all (laughs) over that. And like, I can't imagine the Gordon of season two doing that. The Gordon of season two would probably just chuckle and be like, nice one. Want to go help me manage my stress? Like he just, he turned into like this swarmy guy. And that is an example, I think, where the show walked backwards from having like a dynamic, interesting, multifaceted character and just turned him into like a parody of like a creepy man going through a midlife crisis. So in a way, justice for Gordon. Um. I would watch a Gordon Renata spinoff, though. Oh, my God, yes. They're like the reverse Jeffersons or something. Or it could be like, I don't watch the show, but like HBO show Divorce. Like, it could just be Mm -hmm. like them doing that show next. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would watch. I would watch more of. I'd watch more of this. More of, more of, uh, you know, train smashing, they're bickering, like everything. Just In terms of talking about people's endings, though, I feel like Renata's was one of the only ones that I was somewhat satisfied by. Like, she's clearly, like, reached the end point with Gordon. She's gonna, it seems to me, like, when she walks out of the room, that's for the last time. And then the last scene we get with her is talking to Amabella in a way that seems, like, warm and encouraging and parental and not just, like, anxious pass down my anxiety to you and like cause you to be passing out in closets at school well and it was also nice because it was a very grounded moment for her who has become like a cartoon extended version of an already extended character right so to like bring her down and ground her for those last few seconds was kind of nice like so we're in agreement that we're not got the best ending yeah i i I agree too because and she i think she's also sort of the in some ways her line to Gordon at the end of that is sort of what sums up the entire season is she says, you know, I'm done, no more bullshit, no more lies. And that sort of seems to me like what they're all deciding. They're all going to come clean Mm -hmm. and move forward from there and live their best lives after that. At least Renata will try. Mm -hmm. And Madeline's still with Ed. So Godspeed. Well, see, I I thought that that those lines sort of harken back to what Ed was saying at the disco party too, you know, saying like this is all just lies, this is all fake, and um and when he later on he says to um he says to Madeline, you know, like when you were you had a genuine moment in the car when you were talking about hating yourself, but now you're going back to lying to me again after she's like trying to convince him she freaked out on Bonnie about nothing. And so this to me, like Renata's the one who says it, but I feel like that's what they're all resolving to do is just like, fair. I'll take move it forward. All right. Yeah. All right. So it's time for Bonnie. I'm not sure she has, she doesn't have the best ending. Renata probably does, but I think she has the most important ending, I'd guess I I'd say. So, um, we have the mother smother fake out, um, which I already said, I thought was kind of cheap. And then I interrupted poor Rebecca's train of thought about the whole thing. But let, so let's get back to that, um, to that particular, um, yeah. I think the thing that upset me the most about it is that we had so much heavy handed mm-hmm. water imagery and, you know, pretending that Bonnie or the mom is going to die and the mysticism associated with the mom. And that was literally for nothing. 
Mm-hmm. There was no, nothing that was informed by that. And it felt like a really, like they didn't know what to do with Bonnie or her mother. And they just were stalling with some sort of plot until Bonnie was going to inevitably come to confession. Because as we know from the books, Bonnie confesses. I think that from the start with Bonnie being all stressed, the lie is going to get us. The series was inching ever closer to Bonnie confessing mm-hmm. and they just needed something some sort of push, some catalyst to make that happen. And they had to drag her poor mom into this. And, and like, like roadblocks to get yeah. her to like wait until the end here. And, and the abuse I, thing could have been like something that, you know, was a, was the justification for why Bonnie reacted. We could have dealt with that, but I'm talking more about like the mysticism and the water and the visions and all that. Like that served zero purpose. So I was holding hope for something from that vision and that like, cause at least that then that would all serve a purpose. Cause that all seemed so ridiculous now in hindsight with where things went. And there's that moment where she pulls up to the train station and she's sitting in the car in the rain and she sees the flicker of lights and she like flashes back to seeing those lights when she like kissed her mom's hand in the hospital. And I was like, Oh, cool. All right, here it's happening. Finally, like something's coming from this vision. And it was, Nothing. I mean, other than her friends showing up to go in to like support her and turn themselves in as well. But it felt so that to me was like the anticlimactic slap in the face that this that that was the moment where I was like, oh, fuck you. Mm -hmm. Like I needed something. I, I just felt like this whole season I was like given teasers about some delicious meal I was going to be served. And then in the end, I got like some stale cold mcdonald's french fries uh do not shit on stale cold mcdonald's french fries first of all <laughs> those are a staple of my diet second of all there's a great meme that i'll throw up on the instagram page that is like it's that horse meme where the back half is drawn like beautifully and the front half is just mm-hmm. like some yes. horrible child and yeah. bonnie gets the front half and i think that unfortunately season one and season two Bonnie has just been like grossly underserved and it's too bad because i think that zoe kravitz has been doing some of the best work of the series. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, then, and her scenes with her mother in the hospital where she is, you know, going, reading that letter and all of this where she's like reacting, uh, that I, I, she just handled it so beautifully and, and had such like power and, and was delivering this great character, but there was like nothing there in the writing for her. She was creating that in my opinion. Like I felt that her character was, underserved and that she was dealing their plot points that were just underdeveloped. Yeah. Because really they just had her doing the same thing over and over again. It was like sit in the corner of a room and uh, look sad. And then I wasn't bored with her or her performance at any point. Uh, And I felt like she consistently brought all the appropriate emotion and more and, and gave me a lot to like think about with what she was doing and how she was feeling. Uh, the one thing I was pretty, pretty shocked by uh, as they're packing up the dead mother's hospital room, as they're packing up her little feathers and stones and whatever, um, that, that, you know, she chooses that moment to tell her husband, like, mm-hmm. to give him his walking papers and be like, and yeah, I never loved you. Did that feel earned at all to you? Like, it felt like they pulled a switcheroo, like they're building to... Um, Ed and Madeline's demise for most of the season. And, and then, then just out of nowhere, out. it's 
yeah, it's Bonnie and Nathan. Well, I mean, I guess the only indication that we had mm-hmm. other than like, you know, this season, he kept saying she's distant, but that seemed understandable with everything she was emotionally going through. Then in that letter she reads to her mom when she says, because of you, I married a man I didn't love. Right. Um, But it seemed like their relationship last season was filled with love and, right. and passion. Mm-hmm. And this season... You know, that, again, it seemed to me like some sort of fault in writing where it's like, why did we not get a continuation of where things of who these characters were? And is it supposed to be that an event like this just changed them all so drastically that they are all just totally different people? Mm -hmm. Um, And in her moment of power now coming to terms with her mother and knowing that she's going to go turn herself in in order to completely free herself, she has to like tell him she doesn't love him anymore. I guess I'd buy that, but it just seemed, I don't know. And I know there was reference that in the book, like he's a total douche who had left Madeline without money. And so Mm -hmm. maybe you're supposed to kind of accept that he's, he's an asshole, but I don't know. I, I just, to me that, that was kind of a bizarre ending yeah a switcheroo that we didn't need Mm -hmm. so even though she breaks she seems to break up with Nathan in the hospital room he's still back at the house that night when she goes to leave for the police station where else was he gonna go right well I mean but like you know go for a drive or something like you you go back with your wife who just dumped you who is now telling you that she pushed a man down the stairs to oh, his FYI, dad. Oh, FYI, honey, I'm also a murderer, and you're going to have to pay alimony while I'm in jail. Fill out my he, commissary. Right, and he's, like, offering to go with her to the police mm-hmm. station. So it's clear that she's told her family what's going on and what she's about to do, but it's not clear to me that anyone else has. I guess Madeline's really the only other person who has someone to tell. Um, Because I don't think Jane or Celeste are going to go tell their kids, you know, but um, Jane might have told maybe Corey was staying over the rest of the night. So she probably told him because he was already kind of involved in this, having been brought in for questioning. She's Uh, like, "Um, that was great, but uh, I got to go turn myself in for a crime now. And Detective Quinlan, when we're talking about things that are underserved this season and where was Detective Quinlan? Yeah, what the fuck? Like I like I said, I really wanted more for her. I love that actress. I was very excited to see her do something dramatic and and different and I I really felt like we were I I was excited to have this like female detective versus these fe- these, you know, all of these strong female characters and I just felt like we never got anything out of that. We didn't even get to see her in the end, like get her justice that she mm-hmm. seemed so. And you would have thought she was in court before. She, you would have thought she would have been there at least in the stand for the judge's right. you know, verdict. Yeah. Yeah. I I was really disappointed with the lack of Quinlan. Justice for Quinlan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We want justice for a lot of people. I, I need justice for this. <laughs> so, I mean, knowing what we know now, I mean, we. In the book, right, Bonnie gets basically just a whole bunch of community service, which she's more than happy to do. But it seems at this point, we've talked about this before, there's a lot of other crimes involved by the time they get, they go confess. So what do you, if you had to guess, what do you think the results of their confession is? 
I mean, definitely obstruction of justice, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, do we think anyone's doing jail time? Do we think they're all going to get in trouble? Because it's, you know, uh, I mean. It's definitely more serious than it was in the books. So right. I would imagine, I don't know. The, it's implied in the books that Bonnie gets community service and doesn't, and it's a lenient sentence because of the past history of abuse. Mm-hmm. I would be interested to see. I mean, I don't know if we will see. It's TBD if we're actually going to get anything out of this, but. <laughs> Another trial? <laughs> I know, right? Like, I, uh, I, I think that, I don't know. I mean, so many things in this, this second season kind of touched upon things from the book that weren't touched upon in season one and kind of expanded upon that. So, I mean, I guess if Leanne Moriarty is staying true to what her original uh, purpose was with the book and her original plot and, and plan, mm -hmm. it would be that they kind of go light on them because the, I mean it is it was a moment of self-defense I mean mm -hmm. yes they obstructed justice but in my mind I don't think any of these women are going to be serving hard time and I you know the the implications for Bonnie and Jane are a lot different than they are for Madeline or Celeste or Renata right like Jane's a single mom who's going to take care of Ziggy if she had to do time, you know, um, I'd be surprised if Jane out of all of them gets any time because she's been like the least perverting mm -hmm. of justice. She is a single mom and she's one of Perry's rape victims. So I think that would mm -hmm. be like, it would be difficult for a judge to sentence a rape victim jail time for watching as her assaulter fell down a flight of stairs. Mm -hmm. Like I, I think that'd be fucked, but this is the American justice system and we hate women in this country. So who knows? <laughs> Oh, it's sad and true. Um, speaking of some other things that are true or not, let's talk about some of the predictions we made. Um, you know, we said we always thought Bonnie was going to confess, basically. Right. And but last episode, I think I suggested that someone might try to kill her first. And that did not happen. None what of the stuff with Bonnie happened. Sorry, I've got background noise. Are you like playing the drums? Downstairs. Um, oh. <laughs> Sorry, fans. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, we figured Celeste would get her kids back and Mary Louise, Mary Louise would be outed as an abuser. Are there any other predictions we made that came true or didn't that you guys can think of? Well, I had predicted that it would come out in the trial when Mary Louise was on the stand that she... Was definitely involved in the death of Perry's brother, so I got that one. Uh, but I was pretty confident that Bonnie would meet and that Bonnie was ill-fated. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, I mean, obviously that did not that did not come to fruition. And I I really truly did believe that there was going to be some sort of death in this episode. Um, and I really thought drowning was going to be a thing because they kept well, I they mean, there was that. We just don't care about it very much. Right. Like Elizabeth died. It just wasn't oh, very yeah, like, dramatic. Yeah, I mean, I guess. But yeah, mm -hmm. that kind of felt like she was already dead. I mean, she's yeah. just been laying there for a while. So <laughs> um, but I, I meant of I meant specifically of one of the main Water characters. Yeah. yeah not mm -hmm. one of those like one of these characters will die. It's that person over there in the corner that you've never seen before. Um, that I, I 
did feel I felt uh, great about the fact that I was able to predict that Mary Louise would totally get up there on the stand and things would come out. I didn't expect that it would be that Celeste already knew about it, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but didn't see that one coming. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think about some of the other predictions. Yeah, I think that might be it. Yeah. So um, we did think that Madeline and Ed would not end up together. mm. Right. Or at least I I thought I might have thought that in my mind. I I think you were just hoping against hope that that, that's what would happen. Yeah. I I kind of thought that they would break up. I was a little surprised that ended up with a Valerie. I think they kind of had to keep like one of the core couples intact because obviously Bonnie and Nathan seem to be done. We're not as done with Gordon. Perry's dead. And Fishboy doesn't count. More sense. I think in like the arc from season one to now that Renata and Gordon found, even though he cheated with the nanny and like all this stuff that I kind of felt like they would have been, it would have made more sense to me for them to reconcile and be like, all right, we're going to move forward and rebuild together than Madeline and Ed. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, the series of horrendous things that Gordon did is just like, oh, I, I, sure. No, for sure. He's like a horrible human. But Renata's no saint. And I feel like in with Renata, like it, it almost especially because she is so unhinged and has that like unpredictability. And yet uh family is like you know madeline always runs around talking about family being a core value renata is like so all about amabella and and image and the you know this this life and i i don't know i just kind of felt like i would have more suspected if you would ask me in a prediction like which one mm-hmm. of them would have ended up together i would have picked renata and gordon for sure all right well, to that end, what um, since we're making picks, what uh, um, was the best song of this episode for you guys? Uh, Fire and Rain, I think. Yeah. Just because it was, I love that cover of it. And oh, you mean oh, have you just, ever seen the rain? Have you ever seen the yeah. rain? The Willie Nelson cover. So yeah. just for a note, what time it is in my brain right now is um. Uh, yeah. Five in the morning? Like five, I'm mean, at five, five in the morning. Time. So yeah. I can't even do the math. That's how tired I am. So yeah, exactly. The one yeah. I said. <laughs> it's all right. This has been a long week for me too. This morning when I woke up, I realized that last night when I like finally got to stumble home and come to bed after a very long, long day, I put my pajamas on inside out and backwards. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This morning when I woke up, I was like, oh, my God, what is wrong with me? Um, yes. So I think I agree that was my pick of the song, too, just because I thought it was, again, a moment where that song, it not only did it fit, but it was it it took on a character in the scene. It, it was a part of the scene, a participant. Yeah, I agree. I mean, anytime Willie Nelson shows up, I'm going to pick Willie. He, he's my boy. Um, and I think we're all going to agree on what the best outfit was. Uh, Renata's power red jumpsuit that she should probably be running for president in. So, but just in case I'm wrong. 
Obviously, that's number one, but I'm mm-hmm. going to make a, a sleeper pitch for this weird cat face bag Madeline had on the counter <laughs> for like the hottest second, and I have never covered anything more. So I don't know what that was. Madeline does not seem like a cat lady. I thought it was a very weird choice, but I was very excited about it. So Could it for have me, been one of the kids? I have a cat purse. It I looked like Madeline's. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I love that cat purse. So power jumpsuit, duh, but cat purse, second. Yes. Uh, the power jumpsuit, I literally have been Googling where you can get that. Not that I would look anything close to l- the way Laura Dern looks in it, but I just would like to have a power red jumpsuit to, like, smash things up in. Uh, so if anyone finds where you can get an amazingly fierce power red jumpsuit, please let me know because I want one. Um, as I, I, I've got a backup, too. I just want to, like, shout out to all of the, like, flowery, flowy dresses that Celeste wears. Her, like, yeah. virginal, badass corporate mm-hmm. look. She just, con- yeah, she just constantly looks some like some sort of springtime goddess. Like, it, it, they are beautiful, every one of them. And I don't know what to do with myself. Because much like... Laura you know, Ashley is shook. <laughs> the designer Laura Ashley collection. Laura Dern and um, Nicole Kidman are probably a good foot taller than any of us, um, except for maybe you, Rebecca. You're kind of tall, but really? there is. I, I mean, I would look like a, you know, some sort of '90s witch if I tried to put on any of those dresses. <laughs> but meanwhile, I, I feel like I'd look like somebody trying to be like a deranged fairy at a Renaissance <laughs> fair. Like, yeah, you, uh, I, I just, you know, it's the last episode. I got to get in another Gilmore Girls reference. You would look like when Liz and TJ got married in the Renaissance Fair circuit and yes. everybody showed up. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So what was your best line for the episode? I don't know. I know it's a lame line, but I really loved the keep your eyes on your fucking paper. I just think that's such a <laughs> weird, specific insult, and I loved it. As someone that, like, got hated when people were looking at my paper, that was something that I'm definitely going to try and use in future situations. Yeah, that was a great line. Also, uh, show a woman a little respect. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's just going to go down as an iconic line for this show. I'm sure that will be on T-shirts. Yes. And I, Mary Louise, you know, saying just put her coffee in my bag. Yeah, but I that felt was great. so <laughs> disturbed about putting coffee in a bag. I really want to know why they're doing that. Um, cons- <laughs> like, how? Does it not spill all over? Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know, but um I am brought about the decision to put that coffee in a bag as well. The but Oh my God, Renata just had me. Like, who uses the word "rot" like to describe themselves? I just, I, I was cracking up. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of the best and worst people of the episode, I think it's time we make a judgment. Who are the best and worst people in all of Monterey? Just. Oh, see, I literally just texted our group thread saying we should do a whole episode where we just do superlatives for the whole season, like best of the season. Oh. Worst yeah, season, so I bet I hope we save that and and do that. Um, oh, okay. Save the total superlative for all of Monterey. It could be a really quick little mini episode. I think it would be fun. Um. Yeah. So barring that, uh, does that mean we get a best and worst for specifically this episode? Then. Sure. Go ahead. All right. Uh, I think for me, 
the well I for the worst I actually really I'm still like set on that Corey guy being the worst I I I he's like creeping into Adam Scott uh territory for me here mm-hmm. um he's like in an ed zone that's gonna be what I start talking about when I don't like a if I if I'm like dating a guy I'm gonna ed zone him yeah <laughs> Um, so he's the worst. So who's the best? Oh, Renata, for sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, come on. You, you gotta, you gotta give it to her. Yeah. I'm going Renata best Gordon worst. Yeah. I mean, Gordon is by far my worst. And I gotta say, like, I mean, you understand why Celeste has to do what she does in the courtroom, but if you were to just break it down to, like, she outed her friend as a rape victim and then attacked, made an old woman cry about the death of her son, you're like, hmm, this is some shady choices you're making. Yeah, but, I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do to keep your kid. Um... And I don't, I mean, Renata, okay, like, she is a meme factory, and she's really funny, especially this season, but I still think she is unhinged and completely off her rocker. So, um, I think I've got to go with, I mean, Bonnie's really the heart and soul of this show. She's the one, the only one, it seems, with a conscience conscience for, like, half the season, so I'm going to go with Bonnie. So... We had played uh, Mary Fuck Kill with the men of Monterey, mm-hmm. but <laughs> if you had to go have a cocktail, if you mm-hmm. had to spend an evening uh, having a cocktail with one of the ladies of Monterey, who would it be? Jane. I'd be intimidated by anybody else. Mm. I mean, Jane is the one I would actually want to be friends with. Maybe Bonnie, although she's a little too pouty these days, she might get kind of annoying. But if it was just like one night where it's like, we're going to see where this goes, it would either have to be Madeline because she's just nuts all the time. Or, I mean, Celeste is having, finding herself some hot dudes lately. You see, that's what I was going to say. What do you want for the night? Mm-hmm. Do you want to like have a girls' night, or do you want to like go get some? Right. Different. I mean, different brackets there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think depends Celeste, on the bar. Celeste, unfortunately, would be a pretty good time. Like she would slam mm-hmm. back a few with you. You'd do some man hunting. Although she would totally abandon you at the bar. She would like yes, she would. just leave with some guy and bang him in the bathroom. But and she wouldn't like be like that upset if like your drink got roofied. She'd be like, oh, that's what they do here. It's super fun. <laughs> and also like you would never, no man would ever look at you because you're sitting next to fucking Celeste. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm going Jane. Jane's bangs and her beanie mean that like I'm looking pretty good. Mm-hmm. But nobody thinks Mary Louise it would be no. a cocktail. I don't think Mary Louise drinks. Just yeah. the tears of her enemies. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And as much as I love Renata, she would be insufferable to sit through a cocktail with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you were both, like, trash-talking, unless you were bonding over hating the same person. And then Renata would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I would have to listen to her talk about how she's poor while she's still making like a hundred thousand dollars a year, if not more. And so I would just be like, I, I can't with you. I have to leave. Goodbye. <laughs> Fair. But mm-hmm. I feel like Bonnie was just so sad sack this season. Yeah. That she wouldn't mm-hmm. be any fun. No, I agree. She not once did she have to sweat out her wine 
Yeah. And yoga the next morning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are your recommendations for this week? So because I'm name dropped earlier, I'm going to have to go with uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is just one of my favorite sitcoms. It's ridiculous. It's sort of a musical comedy, dramedy. And uh, Rachel Bloom is just magnificent. I've seen her live show before, and she is just everything you want out of a self-aware queen. So if you you only watch one episode of that show, watch the one where they sing the song about having heavy boobs, which I just think is the funniest. It's a great song. (laughs) I mean, there's so many great songs like that, Mm -hmm. though. So I highly recommend it. Carolyn? Yes. Okay, so I uh, stumbled upon the other night a movie on Netflix that was just released on Netflix called A Secret Obsession. It's Mm. with that girl from the Disney Channel shows when she was younger. Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of, it goes along the same line, sort of in a big little lies way. Uh, And it's total, it's just total rub you know it's just it's just rubbish as far as like (laughs) uh it's not it's not great but it is it it holds your interest and is a fun thriller to to go through and it kind of like it keeps you guessing to a certain extent I mean about halfway through you figure out what is happening but then you know there's the action element so it's a fun if you're looking for something to kind of satisfy your uh you know your thriller needs uh and and have a woman come out on top after a man is completely treating her horribly, go uh, seek that out on, on Netflix. And then if you want to uh, watch something that's like completely different, I just have to endorse probably one of my favorite shows ever uh, season one of the comeback with Lisa Kudrow. I talk about (laughs) the show like all the time. It is so good. But like big little lies, when it came back for a season two, when it got its comeback, it kind of didn't, uh, it, it went in weird ways. It too sort of suffered from this. Where do we go from here? But season one of the comeback has some of the most brilliant, hilarious, and also like heartfelt and poignant, like real, real moments. And Lisa Kudrow is just a spectacular comedian who I think sometimes kind of has gone under the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently, I'm going to recommend because I recently watched, um, I Love You Now Die on HBO, which is a two-part documentary about the girl in Massachusetts who was put on trial for, um, yeah, for uh, her boyfriend kills himself, and there are all these texts of her basically telling him to do it. And the first episode is basically from the prosecution's point of view, and the second episode is from the defense's point of view. And it is really interesting and thought-provoking and upsetting and not at all what probably anyone thought it would be if they just followed the trial on the news. So I really recommend it. And I'm assuming you have HBO because you're listening to this podcast, so go watch it. Oh, that does Mm -hmm. sound good. Yeah. So, well, I guess with that, we should say thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you'll tell your big little lies loving friends about us so that people keep listening and we'll probably be back with some new episodes, some follow up episodes, at least for a little while. Right. Um, You heard Rebecca, Rebecca already pitch a new episode 
on this one. Keep some so. content coming. Don't worry. We know you're thirsty yeah. for more. I want more. <laughs> we got you. Ooh.